welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. We are in the middle of a mini-series on Brandenburg Concerto No. 4 for solo violin, two solo recorders, and orchestra. And this is our second episode in that mini-series. Last week in our first episode, we talked about the first movement. Today, we have a moment picked out for you from the second movement near the end. What you just heard was my favorite moment from this movement, which was just before the ending of the movement. We also let that ending play out, and you heard that little recorder solo. I love that moment too. I want to explain to you what I find so fascinating about this movement. And I want to do so in a way we don't do often on this show, and that is by explaining a little bit of jazz harmony. <laughs> and what do I mean by that? It's really, it's Baroque harmony too. It works in jazz and Baroque music. And what I'm talking about is the idea of two, five, one. And now, Even if you're not a music theory buff, I think I can get you to understand this by helping you with musical examples. So, what I mean by this is, by one, I mean the tonic key, like whatever key we're in, which means it feels a little more grounded. And right now we're in the key of E minor. So when we hear that, that feels like what key we're in. And in classical music, we hear 5-1 a lot, and that means you're going from a chord, which is five steps away, so bum, to the one, bum, and the axis between these two chords is huge in classical music. Most of the most final type of cadences that we hear at the end of a work or at the end of a phrase are from five to one, bum, bum, you can hear it that way too. So two five one would just be bum bum bum. And in jazz harmony, the idea of doing two five one is so foundational to jazz that most jazz pianists, for example, know like all the different ways to play the two five one patterns in like every different key, especially and including using using some jazz chords and some bluesy color and things like that. But it's just one of those things that has held over from classical into jazz very strongly. Bach does it all the time, but in this movement we hear it really, really particularly powerfully. And it happens after the exposition of the first little main theme, which starts with these kind of emotional These things are so great here. We get our first taste of two recorders in harmony plus the solo violin being under them right here. 
So that was just right at the beginning of the piece. Here's another taste of that. Two recorders and solo violin. And now here we're going to come to the part where I feel the 2-5-1 happening. There it was, and let me play that for you with it. Okay, so we just did F sharp to B to E. Bum, 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 two, five, one. Now let's listen to that again and listen to the violin part above. Actually, the solo violin plus the first recorder plus the first violin in the piano section are all playing this line above, which is a lovely descending chromatic line. See if you can hear that. Now, this time, you've just heard that. Now listen to just the bass. So that's a great example of what Bach is doing to make these two lines work. The one line is chromatic, meaning it's moving very small amounts every note. The other line is jumping a lot. It's jumping like a fourth or a fifth, and it's jumping around in the bass. And it's doing the pattern that I talked about with the two five one thing. And it's doing that a bunch, and yet it all works together. There are even other parts happening here. In the second recorder and the second violin, there's the da bottom thing happening there. The solo the second recorder soloist, and then the second Repiano the second violin. Repiano yeah. violin. Yeah, mm -hmm. so he's, again, he's just playing with all these textures. And the viola part in the Repiano is filling in the extra harmonic material with its own line. All of this right now is, there are these four parts happening together, all of this serving to complete the texture. And now we're going to listen to that bass part again, and I feel that this 2-5-1 thing happens a lot. And when you land on the 1, which is E, it serves as another 2 to feel like we're moving into another key, which is D, so a key lower. Then, later that D is going to be the 2 of C, and then we end up, and then like C becomes, for a second, for a second, C becomes our key but that's not gonna last very long. It's gonna lead us back into E later through a different way. But I'm just gonna play along with that bass motion so you can see what I mean. I just think that's so well constructed right there. The way it all just crawls, crawls down. You don't have a lot of music of this era where all the voices go the same direction because it's really tricky to work out voice leading wise what's happening when you do that. But here he does it so successfully and with such raw power, I think, especially coming from that top line with all the emotional chromatic downward steps. So that is just a moment I love. And it will lead me later to the ending of the movement which is like a form of that moment that I love the most. But check this out. Here, the first recorder finally gets a chance to shine. 
before we get back into the material we are used to hearing before. Now what are we hearing? That similar bass motion from before. But the chromatic part is now in the recorder two. Let me start this section over and I will play the recorder two part as we listen. So we heard that crawling down motion in the recorder two part that time. Now we're about to get two little sweet moments where the recorders are playing in harmony, the solo violin is playing under them, and nothing else is happening in the piano. Here's one. Do you hear how the texture got a little thinner there? Here's another moment, just like it. Play that one again and listen to how low the violin goes. It plays these notes. So just because he's the solo violinist doesn't mean he always has to play the high notes. Bach has him go low there. And in fact, when he does this, he actually assumes the bass job. Yeah, right. That's, a, that's something we should mention is that there's almost always somebody doing the job of the bass instrument. When the bass instrument's cut out, then somebody else has to do that job. There are exceptions to this, especially when like a fugal section will start or something like that, like mm -hmm. where we're going to see that at the beginning of the third movement. When you first hear uh, that line by itself in the third movement, it's not really meant to be a bass part. It's one of the fugue statements, and that's fine. But usually... In the context of all this other texture happening, when the bass instrument's cut out, whatever's happening on the bottom has to assume that role. Your moment of the day, Alex, especially that you're building up to here. Yep, we're about the, to get the there. The violin is is playing like a cello part, basically. Just yeah. An, just, uh, just high, higher. You know, in basically, it's playing a bass part. It's jumping, uh, moving by fourth and fifth a lot, jumping around to root. Yes. Root to root. Yes, and let's let's get there right now. We were just about to hit it in the recording that I was playing. There are th only three things happening right here. It's just the violin and the two flutes, right? Just our con concertino section. And let's listen to the violin. It has the lower part right here. So did you catch what was familiar about that? It's just the bass part from before. It's the two, five, one thing that we were talking about. It's all of that same stuff. And it's now given to the violin one player. What I love about that so much is that if you're looking at the violin one part, if you're that person playing that music, typically you don't have the score of, of the whole thing in front of you. You just have your own part, like isolated. People who aren't music performers might not know this. You would just have your own part, and if you didn't know any better, you might think, huh, 
that's weird. I wonder where that material came from because you never had it before. Yeah, it was always in that's not very melodic. Yeah. yeah. But actually in this in this example, I bet that the uh, artistic director, Shinsuke Sato, probably does have the score because he's directing mm. as well as playing the violin one part. But if you were just looking at the part, it would look a little disjunct. I think it is really, really neat, uh, really interesting that this player who usually doesn't get the bass part just gets it for a few seconds. Yeah. It's a nice change of pace, and violinists get a lot of things to do. Sometimes they have a melody by themselves. Sometimes they are in harmony with a melody. Sometimes they have an independent part that's lower but still very melodic, but it usually is an inner or top part, right? Yep. And now it's the bottom part, and that's interesting, and it must be kind of fun to just do something just a little different. Yeah. It is also marked piano, as all three parts are marked in this little short section. So let's listen to the other parts. I bet you'll recognize the little themes. Bach is always reusing the main motives and themes that he comes up with. So listen to that top part played in the first recorder part. It is the crawling down chromatic thing from before. Let's hear it again, played with piano along. Now listener, I bet you know what I'm gonna ask you to do. Try and listen for the second recorder part without me helping you by playing along. Try to listen for it and it's those faster notes. And now here it is with me playing along. Now I'm gonna play that section for you again without playing along. Try to take in all three parts. Try to switch off as you listen. The violin part playing that bass line type thing, the lowest thing you're hearing. The high recorder playing the chromatic crawling down thing. And the middle part covered by the second recorder, playing the faster material, the da-da-da-da stuff. And those are just five seconds of, you know, beautiful music, uh, something that sounds pretty conventional by box standards. But now that you know what all these themes are, and now that you know how special it is that right at the end of the piece, he puts them all in the solo instruments in a special way, that gains a lot more meaning. Alex, I really love when a piece of music is composed in such a way that its ending has a little moment in it, a few measures, which just completely summarizes and closes up all the loose threads in it. Yeah. It just finishes it up. And not like summarizes like uh, as a coda, like as a as a tag at the end. No, I mean like everything has been building to one last thing that needed to happen to put everything together, which was the last ending. Yeah. I like to try to do this with my own composing. I mean, I like to write the ending, not first, but near the beginning of the process. Because mm. once you've got an idea of what the piece is going to be like, you don't want to get stuck in a place where you don't know how to finish the piece. You know, 
you want to have a place to go. It'd be the mm. same thing if you were writing a novel, well, except a little bit more extreme and in a large scale, right? But it's like, uh-oh, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with my novel. I don't know how I'm going to wrap up this plot in a satisfying way for the characters. Like, that's not a good place to be in as a writer, you know? Mm. So um, I'm sure, you know, when Bach puts, puts these things together, he's got the endings in mind. Although something like this, maybe maybe not this particular instrumentation. Maybe when he got to this part, he, he thought, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if I did this. We don't really know, but these things always feel so carefully constructed that it's it's pretty unlikely that he just approached composing as rhapsodically as right. um, as someone else might approach it. And it does bring us to a little bit of a rhapsodic moment, though, at the end, like a little kind of unexpected flourish. And that is right after the moment we just talked about. At the very end, we land... Unexpected chord here. Then a recorder solo. Then a final cadence. What we just heard there was a Phrygian half cadence which we've talked about in the previous Brandenburg Concerto episode, right, Christian? We mm, talked this about the this. Same, yeah. yeah, it's the same thing, except the last for in two that notes one. Are, yeah, yeah the in last. that one, it was only the, it would be like if you just took those last two notes, that's all he did for right. the second movement in that one. But this, that little flourish with the recorder is just so lovely. Yeah, the piece really ended four bars from the end on that, on that E minor chord. And then the yeah. last three chords, along with the recorder flourish between the first and second of those three chords, are a additional extension. Because that's what he likes to do at the end of these middle slow parts. Yeah. So I have some advice out there for any creative types. And I got this advice from former mentor composing teacher dr carolyn bremer she was really a force at cal state long beach in terms of her involvement and and heading of the composition program there and she always had great advice she sadly passed away a few years ago and one thing i remember that she said i will never forget this she said sometimes when you're composing you get stuck what you don't realize is you're stuck in an alley and you're just trying to turn left and right or go forward, and it's not working. What you have to do, as hard as it is, is you have to back up, get out of the alley, hmm. find your way, like go backwards, find your way out. And then start from before you got into that alleyway. Start there. That can be hard when you are creating something and you're becoming used to your creation or you're starting to like what you've made, right? But then you don't know where to go. It can be hard to give up part of it, to back up and scrap some of it and go in a different direction. But sometimes that's what you have to do to make it work the best way that it could work. I found that advice uh, very useful, I would say. And there's been times when I'm writing a piece and I realize, yeah, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in that alley. It's time to give up on this and go backwards. So did Bach ever find himself stuck in that alleyway and go back? Looking at his manuscripts and how 
clear they were and free of much of the um, scratching out and erasing that we would think would exist, one gets the sense that he didn't or he just had so firmly already created this stuff in his mind before he sat down to write it. Or maybe we're missing a bunch of his sketches that he didn't think should ever see the light of day, things that he had written that weren't working that he made sure nobody ever saw because they didn't look good, you know, because they weren't up to his own standard. Maybe. Maybe. But either way, Spock is good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he threw out his bad stuff. Maybe he was a much better curator of his music than we realize. Hmm. Maybe he hid his juvenile, immature works from us. Maybe. But we don't know. So there's your advice. Back out of the alleyway when you need to. And also, create that ending early on in the process. Don't get to the end and realize you have no way to finish. And now, here is that moment from the ending of the slow movement of the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 4. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the concerto, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of Brandenburg Concerto No. 4 by the Netherlands Box Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Okay, Christian, that was our second episode on Brandenburg 4. So, naturally... Our final and third episode in this mini-series will be all about Brandenburg 4, Movement 3. So Christian, do you have a moment picked out for Movement 3? Or several? <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, it's it's been really hard to choose. The Brandenburg 4th Concerto 3rd Movement is... There's so much to say. I, I don't even know where to begin. Could We could probably do a whole season on it. All right, look forward to a two-hour-long episode next week. <laughs> no, listeners. I'll pick one. I'll pick one. <laughs> In general, I'll pick one. Yeah, I think I've, I think I've got it. Uh, but it's, it's very dense, but um, we'll narrow it down. Yeah. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Yeah.